Father, we are thankful for the privilege of gathering this morning, of looking at your word, considering what you have superintended the writing of, largely at the hand of Solomon. We pray that you would give us wisdom as we listen, that that we would listen well, that we'd be attentive, that you would give us that grace, that we'd grow in godliness and in wisdom, that your son would be exalted. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to jump into Proverbs this main section. Last week I set it up, but this week we're going to cover the main section from 1.8 through 9.18. If if 1, 1 through 7 was sort of the prologue of Proverbs, then then 1.8 through 9.18 is is giving us really the way of wisdom versus the way of foolish. Now I wrote on the board two seeds. Anybody know why? Why did I throw up the words two seeds? Huh? Planning season? Nope, that's not why. Anybody? Yes, sir. Okay, so what does the wise man and the fool have to do with two seeds? Um, the wise man is, is Christ, and the fool would be not Christ. Right, so, so the wise man would be the, the seed of the woman, and the foolish man or the fool would be the seed of the serpent. Right, if you remember the story we've been walking through in Scripture, while while Proverbs doesn't further the story, it does assume it, right? It's assumed, and it's about walking um, as people in God's kingdom. So what does it mean to walk wisely with the Lord in his kingdom? And if you remember, we're from Genesis three fifteen on, 14, 15, etc., dealing with two seeds, the seed of the woman. Those are all those who believe, all those who are in Christ. I mean, obviously, um, preeminently, or the seed of the woman par excellence being Christ himself, right? And then um, the the other seed is the seed of the serpent. Those are those who um, do not believe in Christ, who do not believe God's word, who do not listen to the Lord, right? And so whenever we're walking through these two ways, um, this way of wisdom versus the way of foolishness, uh, or the way of the foolish, we're, we're really talking about the way that the, the seed of the woman walk versus the way that the seed of the serpent walk, right? Um, all right, so n- notice this little um, quote I put up here by Richard Belcher as we're looking over this. The father instructs the son in the home. So if you, as we walk through here, we're going to see two people calling out. One person who calls out and teaches is the father, um, you'll also hear a reference to the mother, like listen to your mother, etc. But we assume we're hearing the father in the home teaching his children, or the father and the mother in the home teaching their children. And then the other one we hear is Lady Wisdom. So Lady Wisdom calls out. Um, wisdom is personified as a woman calling out like in the general public. So you have the father instructing the son in the home and Lady, lady Wisdom calling out the, to the simple in the streets and the marketplace. Both teach the benefits of the way of wisdom and the dangers of the way of folly. In other words, there's this in-the-home wisdom that's being taught, and there's this public wisdom that's being taught. Um, Both voices are teaching you wisdom. Um, So let's, let's look at that. 
Look at with me at Proverbs 1. We're going to start reading in verse 8. And I want to look at the, the narrow road versus the broad road. So when you talk about a way, you're talking about kind of a road, right? Some sort of a, a passage. So the narrow road versus the broad road. Um, look at Proverbs 1, 8 through 9. We'll talk about the narrow road of wisdom. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. And forsake not your mother's teaching. Now, by the way, um, the assumption here is we're talking about godly parents. Okay? So the point isn't listen to your father and mother even if they're fools. Right? The assumption here is godly parents speaking. Um, Forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and and pendants for your neck. All right, so... Who, who are, is he being told to listen to? Oh, this isn't magic. Here, this. Who's he being told to listen to? It's, I know it's early, but what's that? His parents, right? Godly parents. Listen to them. Can we carry this over to anybody else? Sure. Any person in the generation older Okay. So older, godlier men, like the Bible tends to refer to them as elders, right? Um, and or pastors. If you remember, Paul refer- references himself as like a father and like a mother with the church um, in First Thessalonians, right? He has these kind of roles with the church. It's e- either your parents who are teaching you or older, godly men or women who are teaching you, right? Um, that, that are pointing you to the word and the truth. It's a narrow road, though. It's defined by the word. So to kind of give us a sense of the narrow versus the broad road, um, can anybody think of a time this, is, this kind of language is also used in Scripture? The narrow road and the broad road. Okay, good. So Jesus uses it. And in what way does Jesus use it? He uses the word gates instead of enter through the narrow gate. Nope, that, then you think it's to roads. He switches from gates to roads. It's a mixed metaphor. But yeah, you, it's, it's okay. That it, it's harder to memorize mixed metaphors. But go ahead. <laughs> or, uh, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But narrow is the gate, but narrow is the gate, and basically the road's narrow too. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so the, the, idea, the idea is one, one leads to destruction and the other leads to where? Life. Yeah, eternal life, life everlasting. The, the one is narrow and the one is broad. What distinguishes the narrow from the broad? Other than its consequence. The consequence is eternal destruction, eternal life. Um, and other than how many people choose it. Because the multitudes choose the broad road, and uh, a, a small number of people seem, seemingly choose the narrow road. So, okay, wisdom and foolishness. Um, how is wisdom defined? How, how do we know wisdom? The fear of the Lord. And if we fear the Lord, then we... So let's, let's think of the end of Ecclesiastes. Right? It's all vanity. The sum of it is this. What? Fear the Lord and 
You guys know your Bibles, right? What, what's that? Obey his commandments. Right? Uh, that, 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 that's how Ecclesiastes will sum up the, the, life, the, the, the Christian life, if you will. Fear the Lord and keep his commandments. In other words, the way of wisdom is the way of the fear of the Lord, if you will. It's to fear the Lord. That's how it begins. That's the beginning of wisdom. And it's defined by God's word. That's how it's defined. If you want to know what's wise, look at God's word, right? It's that living in keeping with God's commandments, right? So Deuteronomy 29, 29, you guys remember we looked at that? What are you responsible for? Responsible for the secret things? No, you're responsible for the things that have been revealed. And where are the things that have been revealed in Deuteronomy 29, 29? The book of this law, right? Those are things you're responsible for. So... Okay, so I, everybody's looking at me glazed over a little bit. Maybe it's still morning, early. The, I'm going to try to make it as simple as I can. Um, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The parameters for what's wise and what's unwise is found in Scripture. The word of the Lord. Simple enough? Or the commandments of the Lord. Um, so the father and the mother here are those who teach the word of the Lord. They make application of that word to your daily life. All right, let's look at the, the broad road. Verse 10, the broad road of foolishness. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole. Like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods, and we shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us, we will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood, and they set ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. So um, there are these two roads, if you will. One, you listen to your godly parents as they tell you to walk in the fear of the Lord and keep his commandments. Or two, you listen to the world. Now, how is the world described here? They're bloodthirsty. They're pursuing some kind of unjust gain. Right? So they're bloodthirsty men pursuing some kind of unjust gain. Um, th- this, is, this is, by the way, what foolishness leads to. It, it turns you into some kind of an animal. Right? It turns you into some kind of animal. Um, ungodliness makes you inhuman in some way. Did you know that? You ever thought about that? In other words, ungodliness dehumanizes you. Um, so, so Paul will use that kind of language. In Galatians, um, if we look there, look at Galatians 5, and we'll look at the con- contrast here. It's talking about loving your, your neighbor versus um, not loving your neighbor, acting ungodly toward them. 
Look what he says. For the whole, verse 14, 514. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I'm going to, because of the moment we live in, two caveats. The command is not, you shall get the neighbor to, your neighbor to love you as you love yourself, um, which seems to be the current trend line I hear. Let's, let's the church is responsible to convince our neighbors to love us. Nope. Um, and the command is also not, loving your neighbor as you love yourself um, means affirming them in whatever they say about themselves. But to love your neighbor is defined by the Ten Commandments. That is the ethical content of love, right? And so you're to love your neighbor. In other words, you're, you're supposed to keep the law with regard to them, seeking their good above your, your own, right? Love your neighbor as yourself, but notice verse 15. Here's the contrast. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. What, what kind of language is this? Yeah, it's bestial language. It's cannibalistic. Um, he's, he's talking here about the way that you treat your neighbor. And rather than keeping the law with regard to your neighbor, um, you, uh, you become like an animal who bites and devours and consumes them. Right? Um, so that, that's, that, that kind of language is, is often used in Scripture, because we see sin as dehumanizing. You're, when you're given to your fleshly appetites, right? You guys know you have appetites? Right. Some of you probably feel them right now. Some of you are just overcoming the appetite to sleep. Um, some of you have an appetite to eat, whatever, right? Lust can be a kind of appetite, etc. When you, you, you have these appetites, some of them are good, some of them are not good. Um, when the appetites are inordinate, that they're not good. In other words, you want that thing more than what's good and true and right. You guys follow me so far? Okay. Is, it, is it bad to have the appetite for hunger? No. no. If that appetite is inordinate to the degree that we can say your God is your belly, that's bad. You guys understand what I'm saying there? Okay, so um, you have appetites. So do animals. Animals have appetites. Uh, but there's a distinction between us and animals. What is it? Rationality. We have the ability to assess our appetites and whether or not uh, we ought to put them in check for some virtue greater than the thing that we're, that, that we're desiring at the level of the appetite. Right? Okay, so... Um, if I have an appetite for sex, which is a God-given appetite, um, and that becomes disordered or inordinate, then I desire either sex with people I ought not to be having it with, um, or sex with more than the one person I ought to be having it with to whom I'm married, right? Um, that, is, that is an appetite that's gotten out of check, Right? And, and, but the higher good is that I love the one to whom I'm married. I keep God's commandment with regard to them. And I don't feed that appetite. You, you guys follow me on that? Um, I put that appetite to death. And I walk in godliness, right? Um, that's what rational animals do. As opposed to regular animals. And you'll hear me reference this on, on Sunday. But... This is what rational animals do. We're able to contemplate, 
do I need that much food? Do, do, do I need that many uh, partners? Do, what's the use or the purpose um, of this or that other thing that God has endowed me with? Right? Um, so, so that we can see the teleology of the sexual organ. We can see its purpose. We can contemplate its purpose. And we don't attempt to join it with things that don't fulfill its purpose. You guys following what I'm saying without trying to be crude. Um, so the, <laughs> that we, we're able to do that because we're not dogs, right? Um, so, so we're able to walk in wisdom or in foolishness. We're, we're as full, fully human people, um, we walk in accord with God's commands. In other words, in accord with the way things God made them to be. Uh, foolishness is to walk out of accord with the way God made things to be. To exercise things for something other than the purpose for which he made them and to become dehumanized. Right? Um, okay. Where the two roads lead. Where the two roads lead. Look at, look at verse 20. Uh, wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. So here you have Lady Wisdom now. Remember, you had your parents before. Now you have Lady Wisdom. Parents in the home, Lady Wisdom in the streets. Um, in the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? Um, I think the simple here are those who will believe anything. I say that because of Proverbs 14, 15. The simple is the man who will believe anything, right? Um, this is the man who has no discernment. Uh, you, you, they, they, everything's good. It's all good, right? So if you put a plate of brownies in front of them, they'll eat that. And if you put a plate of dog poo in front of them, they'll eat that too because they have no discernment. They're just simple-minded. They like it all, right? I once had somebody tell me that their two favorite preachers on the planet were me and T.D. Jakes. That's what I'm talking about by the simple believe everything, right? Um, you couldn't have two more con con greater contrasts in that sense. Um, we're radically different in our theology, um, yet the person is unable to recognize that. Um, that's how the simple often are. goes on. How long scoffers, uh, will scoffers delight in the scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you and I will make my words known to you because I have called and you refuse to listen have stretched out my hand and no one is heeded because you ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord 
would have none of my counsel and despise all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Now, do you guys see any um, echoes of any psalms here? Which one? Psalm 2. Psalm 2. Why do you say that, Joel? Why did the nations rage? You know, they shake their fist at God, and then later he'll just laugh at other God. Yeah. That's exactly right. So the nations rage. They plot in vain against the Lord and his anointed. And then you, he says, but he who sits in the heavens laughs. Right? And he's going to answer them in his fury. And that's essentially what he's saying here. <clears throat> Listen. To the fools, I've held up my hand all day long to you. Will you see anybody else say this kind of thing? All day I've held up my hand, but you would not. We see that kind of language pop up anywhere else? Not with lady wisdom, but with wisdom himself. Yeah, Christ is going to say that to Israel. Right? I held up my hand all day long. You would not. Right? Jerusalem, Jerusalem. That's exactly right. Yep, that's exactly right. Uh, remember, Christ in the New Testament will become the person, will become, if you will, wisdom himself. Christ is the wisdom of God. Um, all right. So, and when I say become, I mean as man. Obviously, the Son of God has always been the wisdom of God. You guys understand that. So, um, all right. <clears throat> How and why um, to pursue wisdom. Look at Proverbs 2. How and why. So how do we pursue it? If we're supposed to have it, how do we pursue it and why ought we to pursue it? So let's look first at how to pursue wisdom and then why. Verses 1 through 8, how to pursue wisdom. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight, And raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of his saints. All right, so let me stop there. What are the things you're supposed to do if you want wisdom? But if, if you were going to summarize all these verbs, there's a lot of active verbs here. How, how would you summarize them? Huh? Seek it. You're searching it out. Crying aloud in the street for it. Right? Looking for it like if I said, hey, um, here is a map. Here's a map to great wealth. You follow it and you get to the end of it. Um, it's going to take some work but you'll have great wealth. You'll be incredibly wealthy. Okay? Most of you will study that map and you will run it down until you get to, that, to the end of it. Right? If it's a credible offer. It's not just a joke. Right? Credible offer. Okay? Um, I know that because many of you are quite good at learning about how to invest your money and how to build your businesses and how to make a living. You, cer- you seek that out hard. How do I get good at the vocation I've been given so I make a decent living? Um, you, you devote the better part of your life to that. So we know you're seeking that out. Um, we all do, by the way. That's not a condemnation. That's just the way things are. 
Uh, we do. That's why he can use the analogy. Um, <clears throat> you're supposed to do the same thing with wisdom. Right? You're supposed to seek it out just like that. Um, how do you find it? Seek it out. Where? <clears throat> okay. Anywhere specific? For the Lord gives wisdom. So, where does he give it? How does he give it? Do, we, do you know of any passages in the New Testament that talk about this? The Lord giving wisdom? Those who ask for it. Those who ask for it, where? Where is that at? James 1. James 1, right? You ask for wisdom. God gives it, right? Okay, so prayer. Anywhere else that you seek wisdom? If prayer is one of them, this is not, again, this is not a trick question. Where's the other place you find it? Good, the word. Right there. There's your map to finding the treasure that is wisdom. Right there. If people are listening on, on this thing, then I'm holding up my Bible. But there, <laughs> there's your map as to where you search out wisdom. Right? It's, yeah, it, we put it on the wall at the church office for a small donation. You can see it. All right? The, um, <laughs> but, but here's your map. It's a Bible. Right? That's where you seek it out. Word and prayer. Right? Word and prayer. And God is pleased to give it to you. All right. So let's look at, let's, let's look at why to pursue wisdom. Look at verse 9. Then... You will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. In, in other words, if you want to know the good paths, righteousness, justice, and equity, you, you need to search it out in God's word and pray for God to give it to you, give you wisdom with regard to it. Um, for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed, None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. So, okay, what are the two, what are the two outcomes if you're wise or if you're a fool here? Life or death. Life or death. You go down to death, notice that. You go down her way to death, which is where? Seeks down to death. Sheol, under the earth, if you will. Okay? Or you live long where? In the land. Okay? If we think about our biblical story, the land is that place where God dwells with his people. That, that blessed place where God dwells with his people. Sheol is that place of death where you've departed from God's presence, if you will. And I don't mean that God is not everywhere present, but he's present there to judge or to curse, not to bless. 
right? It's not, you want no part of that. <laughs> um, but, but note these two differences. In one case, um, you are walking in the way of godliness. And in another case, you're walking in the way of um, ungodliness. Here, two things are pitted against one another. Lady wisdom calling in, out in the streets. And who else? The forbidden woman, the adulterous woman, right? Um, this seems to be uh, foolishness personified, right? Now we're going to get into a literal adulterous woman, but, but again, even when we get into a, a, an adulterous woman that you actually go to her house and consummate adultery with her, um, still, in some way, the adulterous woman in these passages is personifying foolishness, Right? Um, she's leading you down a path of destruction. Um, all right. Is, is the text making those two options clear enough to you? It's, he's really being clear. Notice this is very different. I'm spending a lot of time here because I want you to notice the difference between this section of Proverbs and when we get to Proverbs 10, 1 and following, which all of a sudden you're going to get these little pithy sayings. Right? You, guys, you guys know what I'm referring to there. You know, go to the ant, learn their ways, right? You know, kind of thing. They're very pithy sayings. This is a much more uh, lengthy kind of instruction in which you're hearing about um, the way of wisdom and the way of foolishness. That they, these two are just being contrasted again and again and again. All right, so what the wise life looks like. Look at Proverbs 3. There's, and, and I'm going to put these down here. There's a commitment to the Lord's instruction, verse 1 and 2. I, I used all C's. I didn't mean to alliterate, but it ended up working out. So, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. So there's a commitment to the Lord's instructions, namely his commandments, his word, right? You're committed to it. That's the way of wisdom. So the shape of a life committed to wisdom is a life, the shape of a life committed to wisdom is a life that's committed, committed to the Lord's instruction. You're committed to his word. Look, um, contemplation of the Lord's word. Look at verses three and four. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. All right, so have you ever heard this kind of, it's this contemplation. It's not just that you're listening to the instruction, but it's that you're contemplating it all the time. You're meditating on it. You're thinking about it, right? So um, you meditate on the word. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law or the instruction of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He receives that instruction. He meditates on it constantly. Um, now, I, have you heard this kind of language anywhere else? Bind it on your, around your neck. Write it on a tablet of your heart. Anywhere else? Okay, so you're going to the new covenant, which is good. We'll come back to that in a minute. Remember it anywhere else besides that? Deuteronomy. What's that? Yeah, if you think about Deuteronomy 6, remember you're supposed to teach your children? 
And you're supposed to have, you know, write it on your forehead, on the doorposts. Like, it's supposed to be everywhere, right? It's constantly in front of you. Um, and then when you come to Jeremiah or Ezekiel, um, these tablets of stone outside of you, right, this law written there is going to be written on your heart, right? Um, part of that new covenant promise. Okay, so, uh, which maybe I should make a differentiation about real quickly. When he talks about the law that's external to you being written on your heart, uh, what do we call that? Nope. You, everybody has a conscience. Um, and there's some way in which the law is written on everybody's heart. But written on your heart so that you love it and want to keep it. Well, what's the theological term? Nope. Election is why you get that done. <laughs> right? Uh, regeneration. Being born again. Being born again. That, that, that's promised in the new covenant, but I want to be really clear. Old covenant saints are also regenerate, born again. Okay? Um, how do we know that? What does Jesus say about going to heaven? John 3, he's talking to Nicodemus. You must be born again. Okay? If you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven, and Old Testament saints were not born again, what problem would they have? None of them would be in heaven. They would be damned. That's exactly right. It's one of Jesus' questions to Nicodemus. You're a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Why ought you to know these things? Because Jesus is just referencing Ezekiel 36. That's why you ought to know it. Haven't you, Nicodemus, haven't you read Ezekiel 36? Right? Okay. Um, all right, so... <clears throat> Contemplation of the Lord, commitment to the Lord's instruction, contemplation of the Lord's word, complete trust in the Lord. Look at verses 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's what you must embrace. Now listen to what you must forsake. And do not lean on your own understanding. Okay? Note the contrast there. Trusting in the Lord with all your heart means you don't do what? Lean on your understanding. Now, Listen, this isn't some kind of mystical thing you have to figure out. Like where you're like, I'll just trust in the Lord with all my heart. I won't lean on my own understanding. Okay, as if I'm looking for some kind of word from the Lord so that I know what to trust rather than my own understanding. This isn't, isn't encouraging you to participate in a mystical experience. What, what, if I'm trusting the Lord with all my heart, what am I doing? Prior text, what am I doing? Yeah, I'm listening to his word right? It's, it's in front of me all the time. I'm contemplating it all the time. Trusting the Lord with, in, with all my heart is to lean upon what he promises and commands and warns about here, right? Um, the things that are revealed belong to you, to your children after you, right? Okay. Um, do not lean on your own understanding. That, that's the things you come up with, okay? If this is not there are the things that you come up with in your head that you think are good, that's from God, and the things you, in your head you come up with that you think are bad, and that's from you. Everything you're coming up with is bad, right? It's the teaching external to you that is good, right, or wise that he's talking about here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your will make straight your paths. 
Be not wise in your own eyes. Okay, to be wise in your own eyes is to listen to yourself. For fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Right? So you're to fear the Lord, um, not be wise in your own eyes. Notice that distinction there. The person who's wise in his own eyes does not fear the Lord. That's your contrast. All right? Um, now, again, so let's think about that. Uh, this is to the, the one to whom I'll look. So the Lord, let me, let me back up and give you a little more context of that text so you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, the heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool. The Lord then, then says, this is the one to whom I'll look. To him who trembles at my word. Right? Uh, we're quoting from Isaiah. Um, okay? The one who trembles at my word. That's the person who is not wise in his own eyes. Right? It will be healing to your flesh, refreshment to your bones. Okay, so this is what it means to have complete trust in the Lord. You hear his word and not yourself. This is part of the problem with Job. Though Job's sin does not bring about Job's suffering, in his suffering, he begins to sin in part because he starts to become wise in his own eyes. I'm going to put God on trial. Right? Now, he fears the Lord, so I want to be really clear about this. Um, can believers, regenerate, godly men, begin to divert toward wisdom in their own eyes? Being wise in their own eyes. Yes, of course we can. Right? We probably do it every day. Um, that's why you're regularly putting to death what is fleshly in you. You're constantly at that work. Um, okay. Verse 9 and 10. Consecration of your life to God's name. Notice this. So you're, you're committing to his, committed to his instruction. You're contemplating his word. You're trusting him completely. You're consecrating your life to him. It, what, does anybody know what consecrate means, by the way? I'm using that word. We throw it around, but I don't think people always know what it means. It's a setting apart. Yeah, setting apart. Setting apart is the big term there. Sometimes we, we um, use sanctified uh, or consecrate. It's what would happen when something... Um, ordinary or common was set apart as holy for the use in the tabernacle um, or when the priests would be consecrated before they could enter the tabernacle because they're common sinful guys. In order to enter the tabernacle, they'd have to be consecrated. You guys remember that? Okay. Um, that consecration is a setting apart. It's a, it's a giving of yourself holy. So there was a kind of consecration in the morning and evening sacrifices. You guys remember people say, why do we have a morning and evening service on the Lord's Day? Because they do all through the Bible. Right? That was the normal pattern. Morning and evening, morning and evening. In fact, every day, but particularly on the Sabbath. Um, morning and evening, morning and evening, morning and evening. That's what, that was just the pattern of worship in the, in the, the life of God's people. Um, and that's what they did. Why? Because every day you begin. Um, by the way, for them, the day begins when? Evening. Every day you begin by consecrating your life to God. You offer some token of your life to him. That, that represents the whole. And then every morning you begin by offering some token of your life to God. Right? A, a, a setting, saying my whole life belongs to you. 
Does that make sense? Okay, uh, morning and evening. So, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And what he's saying here is just remember everything you have belongs to the Lord and honor him with it. Morning and evening. The, the wise man just lives that way. That's how he lives. Um, he's, he's not storing up in his barns. He's honoring the Lord with his wealth and the Lord just fills his barns. Um, okay. Correction embraced is good. So this is the last one. You don't just consecrate your life to God's name. You, you see correction as a good thing. Um, verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. All right, so this reproving here, this is not talking about, so remember I talked about two kinds of discipline. The sort of discipline we see with Job, where Job is being disciplined not in the sense of corrective discipline, because he's committed no sin that led to his suffering. He's being disciplined like a good athlete training for a race who's getting better. You, You guys follow me on that? Okay, different kind of discipline. Then there's the corrective discipline. That's where the rod comes. Spare the rod, spoil the child. The corrective discipline is you're out of line, and so now you're being corrected. You guys follow me on that? Okay. This is corrective discipline. We know that from, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves. This is kind of like, this language is kind of like he, he gives him a beating, right? Um, it's, it's pretty strong language, the Lord reproves him who he loves. Um, we, we, it's picked up in Hebrews 12, but it's this language like um, uh, a, a pretty significant beat down um, to get you back in order. Um, I don't mean, by the way, go home and abuse your children. That isn't the point. So just to be really, really clear. Um, but the point is, it's painful. It's painful. It's painful enough to get your attention so you don't want to do that thing again, right? Why do you discipline your children? Because you want to associate bad choices with pain. So that they don't want to do it again. Because bad choices when you're five that have a painful outcome, um, the pain of the rod ain't so bad. Bad choices when you're 25, those are painful. You guys understand the distinction there? And so you want them to know, I don't want to make those kind of choices. All right? Um, And the Lord essentially is doing the same here. Like he's disciplining those whom he loves. And you're you're just, you're, you're, you're embracing that. The wise man embraces that correction. He sees it as good. Um, he doesn't rail against it. So when he gets, I'll put, I'll put it how this works out as elders. We have somebody who gets to finally get to the point in church discipline where they're in an elder meeting, which is always the least pleasant meetings that we pretty much have a pleasure of being a part of. Maybe, maybe the second, yeah, the, they're, they're pretty close. Maybe it's the least pleasant. There's a couple of kinds of meetings that are unpleasant, but that would be up there near the top. You bring somebody in, and they say, oh yeah, I'm repentant. But then they proceed to tell you about all the ways in which they despise the Lord's discipline. They never say it that way. What they say is, um, it's just not fair that I'm having to suffer this way and this way and this way because of my sin. Right? 
they, they play what we now call the victim card. In some way, this was all thrust upon me, and it's, it's all really unfair, and you guys are being harsh with me, and you're not ha- I don't agree with the way you're handling this, and right? To which I nearly always want to say, we wouldn't be handling anything if you didn't give us something to handle, right? Um, so you wouldn't have to worry about how we're handling it, but here we are. But there's this kind of, this kind of sense in which I, I'm saying I'm repentant with my mouth so I don't have to face consequences, but I despise the Lord's discipline. I don't think to myself, man, it's good that I'm here because I'm thankful I got caught in my sin and I'm getting called out and these consequences have come upon me that I, that I hate in one way and I'm thanking God for in another because it's going to keep me from this sin happening again. That's not, that's not what you typically hear, Right? Um, unless the person's really repentant. If you've met someone who really is repentant of sin, they're like, I'll do whatever needs to be done um, to make restitution, to seek forgiveness, and um, to guard my life from ever going down this path again. I deserve every bit of this, and I'm thankful so that I might walk um, in wisdom. Now, that doesn't mean they're thankful in the sense they love the pain. Nobody does that. Nobody loves that, right? But they love the outcome of that, the guarding of their life for godliness. Um, and that's what he's saying the wise man is. It's that kind of man. Um, all right. Uh, you guys know what this is like. Again, there's all these analogies to parenting, aren't there? Because there are your kids who are very concerned about consequences, but they're not particularly concerned about their behavior. They just don't like the consequences. Um, Incidentally, can you make your kids hate their behavior? No. Um, You can make them hate the consequences for their behavior. (laughs) But at the end of the day, people are saying, you should discipline them until they, this is where I think we're talking about abuse. You should discipline them until they're repentant for their behavior, not just the consequences of their behavior. To which I want to ask, how does one um, beat regeneration into their hearts? Right? You don't. That's nonsense. It's terrible parenting. If you hear somebody say that, they have a theological commitment that's fundamentally at error. In error, right? You just can't do that can't do that. All right. Um, you, can, you can, if you will, discipline them into being civilly decent human beings. You cannot discipline them into being regenerate Christian human beings. We know that because we've had whole societies that are civilly decent, and now we live in a civilly indecent sort of society, right? You can get a civilly decent society through decent parenting. You cannot get a regenerate God-loving society through decent parenting. Do you understand the distinction there? Um, we would like America to at least be civilly decent, particularly California. We would love that. But that's actually not the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to see people being regenerate, right? Pro- proclaim the gospel so people are saved. All right. Um, the benefits of wisdom. Look at verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and her left hand are riches and honor, 
Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. Notice this. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. This is the blessing of the garden with a tree of life that's offered to you. It's, it's the way of wisdom. When you walk in wisdom, it's like you've, if you will, found your way back to the garden, to Eden, where you belonged in the first place. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds drop down the dew. Um, now, I'm not going to get into all of um, what we see there when the Lord, found, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, established the heavens. You're going to see that more expressly in, in Proverbs 8, which I'm not going to hit on this morning. Um, I did in my first session on Genesis hit on Proverbs 8, though. That wisdom personified there is actually um, speaking of the Son, the Son of God. Um, but remember, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth, by understanding he established the heavens. That's why you keep hearing me in the Genesis series saying, this is teaching us about the power and wisdom and goodness of God, right? You're seeing God's wisdom. You're seeing his power. You're seeing his goodness. Um, we'll focus more on goodness this Sunday um, in the creation of man than we have thus far. But um, we're not supposed to despise these. We're supposed to pursue them. Um, okay. We're not supposed to, look at verse 31. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. Okay? What is disgrace? What's that a negation of? Grace in some way, right? You're getting the opposite of that. You're not getting honor, right? Um, you're, you're not getting blessing. You're getting a curse. You're getting disgrace. Um, your name is not being made great. Remember at Babel, what are they looking for? They want their name to be made great. They want honor for their names. What's he saying the fool's going to get rather than honor for his name? Disgrace. And what's the wise man, the humble, going to get? Honor for his name. You guys, um, I'm bringing these up because these, these things we pick up in the text here, the cursing, the blessing, the humble receiving favor and honor, um, the fool receiving scorn and disgrace, these are all grounded, right, like in Genesis 1 through 11. We just keep, the, the pro, Proverbs keep bringing us back to the, those texts. You guys noticing that? Um, Genesis 2, the tree of life, right? Curse. The, like these things just keep coming back and coming back. Genesis 1 through 11 um, keep coming back to us because here's where we see it all went wrong. Here's how it's supposed to be. Here's where it all went wrong. And we keep getting dragged back to those texts. Um, by inference here. Again, notice, notice the language. Who's the humble? He's the one who listens to God's word. That's how humility is defined. I'm going to keep saying this because it's, 
It's a continual irritation of mine in our culture. Humility is not an affect. Do you know what I mean by that? Humility is not an affect. It's not an aesthetic vibe you get off of somebody. You don't meet somebody and go, that guy's so humble. You don't know that. You have no idea whether that person's humble or not. Oh, they, they, they come across as humble to you because you think it's an aesthetic vibe. Right? I was talking to Ian Hamilton about this. I said, my people, um, and I think Ian actually is humble, so I'm going to say I think people have gotten him right. But I said, the people at the church say you're so humble. He's like, that's because they see me for a weekend. Right? They don't actually know me. <laughs> um, and, you know, I've, I've heard my friends who speak a lot fly around. They say, anybody can look like an amazingly godly, godly man for a conference, for the length of a conference, right? That's not hard. Like, in other words, my, the, what's the point? You don't really know somebody based on some aesthetic. You know them based on continual submission to God's word. If they're a person who continually submits to the word of the Lord, receives his correction, etc., they're humble. If they don't, they're not. Who cares about their aesthetic? I'm not saying it's completely irrelevant. I'm saying that's not the heart of what humility is. So we have to get that straight. Humility in scripture is defined. The person who listens to the Lord's word and not their own. The person who seeks the good of the other above themselves. Right? The person who accepts the Lord's discipline as a good thing uh, rather than rails against it. That, that's, a, that's how humility continually is defined in scripture. It isn't defined as um, I, that, that guy really came across sweetly to me in some way. That's, that's good to be coming across that way. It's just not the definition of humility. You can, you can fake that. There's, there's a line in the music book in the woods that read saints, which is nice is different than good. Yeah. Nice is the appearance. It, the, the wolf in the story gives off the appearance of being nice but there's no relationship. There's no necessary correlation between nice and that, That's right. No, no wolf comes into your house bearing their teeth. They just don't. Right? Satan comes into the garden and he offers to be better than God. Not to be wicked. Right? He doesn't come in and say, look at, he doesn't, you know, sort of rattle the dishes in the house and put on a scary look and right he, he comes in and he says is God really good look at what he's keeping from you um, so so I, I I push on that just because let's not let's not misdefine our terms humility is to listen to God's word to put others above yourself to receive his correction as a as a gift um, it, it isn't defined by aesthetic sensibilities. Um, now, I, it is fair to say there are certain aesthetics we pick up from prideful people, um, but that, that's, we have to be careful. So the person who never takes interest in you, but only has interest in telling you about themselves, right? You say, well, you, you pick up an aesthetic vibe from that person, right? Because you, you sit down and they have no interest in you um, or anybody else. They just, they're just there to put on a show. 
um, that, that there's an aesthetic vibe with that, that that can put off a kind of pride because I'm not putting other people in front of myself, right? Um, so, so there are ways that that does show up, really show up, and we pick it up. But So don't get me wrong. I'm just saying let's define terms properly. The goal is to be the person who listens to God's word, not the person who everybody thinks is sweet because you are great at putting on an act. That, that people do that. that. You're being warned about them, by the way, in Proverbs. They're called flatterers. Um, sort of, the, the adulterous woman, she bats her eyes at you like she's as sweet as can be, right? Um, and then she takes you down to death. Right? You guys follow? Okay, so um, I do not know why Accordance is wanting me to update right now. All right, um, let, let's, let's keep moving. The love of, of wisdom versus the love of foolishness. So Proverbs 4 is going to get into the love of wisdom and its consequences um, and the love of foolishness and its consequences. But I, I want to jump, um, and if you notice, Proverbs 5 is talking about foolish sexual pursuits and Proverbs 6, foolish economics and entanglements. So I want to look at those two things because we've been talking about the love of wisdom for some time. Um, so I want to look over at, at Proverbs 5 and Proverbs 6. Um, it's interesting that the two major sections on foolish pursuits have to do with um, sex and money. And probably not terribly surprising that, that those become the two major categories of foolish pursuits, right? Um, they're often referred to by people as the two major things people fight about in marriage when couples have conflicts. Um, these become probably the two major areas having to do with sex and money. Um, they, they tend to be the things that, they, um, that seem to grab a hold of a man, right? Um, so let's look at Proverbs 5 briefly, and then we'll look at 6 briefly as well. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. You guys notice the constant emphasis here. Listen, pay attention, okay? Um, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. So you think about her lips dripping honey. It's just like she's the forbidden woman. You just think her lips look so sweet. That's what he's coming at. And her speech is like, smoother than oil. When she speaks to you, she, her lips look delicious and her speech to you is something that just really um, greases the works, if you will. It, it, you, you love hearing what she has to say to you, right? Um, she's the woman who says what your wife doesn't, right? She, you come home and your wife's in a bad mood or whatever, but when you talk to her at the office, she, she just... She's just telling you all about how wonderful you are. By the way, it's also because she doesn't know you. <laughs> and your wife lives with you. <laughs> but, but here it is. You believe the lie anyway, right? Okay, so. Um, but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. Um, look, look, basically her rebellion and perversity make for 
any number of crooked paths to meet the desires and moods and circumstances of those that she wants to join her. Right? So you're supposed to flee from her. Stay away from temptation. Look what he's going to go on to say. Verse 7. And now, O sons, listen to me. And do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near to the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. This is what happens when you chase her down her path. This, this is interesting. Don't go near her house. What's he getting at there? Is, is, if you know there's a woman who's attractive and smooth and ready to, if you will, consume you, um, what, what does it mean not to go near the door of her house? Stay far away. If, if you um, are just entirely disinterested in attractive women who are constantly complimenting you and telling you how amazing you are, raise your hand. Right? Okay. So, <laughs> I, that, there's no, there, you know, this is just not the temptation of, of man generally to be disinterested in attractive women who speak smooth words to you. So what are you supposed to do with attractive women who speak smooth, wor- smooth words to you? Stay away from them. Stay away from them. Um, don't, is, is it wrong, uh, by the way, to sit in the lunchroom at the table with an attractive woman who speaks smooth words to you? Yes. Why, in what sense is it wrong? Is it, is it itself an act of immorality or a violation of the law? Potentially. But in what sense? Yeah, okay, so that's right. Pleasing to you rather than obeying God's word and having that be what is pleasing to you. You say, I would much rather get my sense of fulfillment and joy from the compliments of this woman. Gotta go. Yep, gotta go. It's a sure recipe for rumor. Oh, yeah, it certainly leads to rumor. Um, that's true. The, 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 the single biggest problem being mentioned here, though, is, is not the rumors, but just your own love of that. What happens in your own heart? You start to say, well, this woman is sure a lot kinder than my wife. What's that? She's into me. She's into me. In the moment that happens, I am now actually not satisfied with what God has given me. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Dissatisfied with God, God's given me, she's smooth. He's saying, stay away from her. Like, you know, if she's one of your neighbors, don't even go near the door of her house, right? Um, if there's a, a, a female next door to me um, who happens to be attractive, but I'm, I'm not interested, it's not a sin for me to go over to her, knock on her door and say, hey, here's some cookies. I hope you're doing well or something, right? But if there's anything in her and, and or me in our exchange that makes me sort of um, like the smooth words coming my way or the attractiveness of her, 
then I should not be in that business. Right? I should stay away from that. I'm going to tell you guys, I'm not really too worried about you going and knocking on the doors of your neighbors. I'm more concerned about the women at work um, who you interact with. Um, that, that would be my, my bigger concern for most of you. That's where you probably run into these temptations. Stay away. If there's a woman at your work presently who's super sweet and friendly to you and attractive, stay away from her. If she thinks you're rude and a jerk, so what? Better to be a rude jerk or what have you than an adulterous husband. Right? Interact with her to the degree that the job requires you to. Be kind, always, but people will accuse you of being rude or jerky just because you don't give them the attention they want. I'm not saying be a jerk. Be kind to everyone, but do what your job requires you to do with regard to that person and nothing more, right? My son was, has a new job and he was having to watch sexual harassment videos, right, for the company. He had to watch a bunch of sexual harassment videos. And he said, Dad, I, I just... I couldn't stand sitting through him. I said, why? He goes, I just thought to myself, well, this is all just being common, just common decency. You should, of course you shouldn't treat women that way. And I said, yeah, I know. But unfortunately, our world, rather than wanting to see people regenerate and come to Christ so that they, um, they treat one another well, thinks that if we just keep telling them, knock off the behavior, that, 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 that information will solve the problem. Unfortunately, folks, the reason that you uh, wander around the adulterous woman isn't because you're too stupid to know that that's a bad idea. It's because you like it. It's a heart problem, not an information problem, right? Um, All right, so he goes on. Look what he says, verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern. In other words, (laughs) flowing water from your own well. In other words, uh, quench your, your thirsts with your own wife. That's what he's saying. Don't quench it with someone else's well. Um, Should your springs be scattered abroad? Streams of water in the streets. Um, This is very graphic language. I'll keep going. Let them be yourself for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with the forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his past, the iniquity of the wicked ensnare him, and he's held fast in the courts of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Right? Um, this is pretty, pretty significant language. The desire for for forbidden pleasures springs out of a dissatisfaction with present possessions. Charles Bridges says. Charles Bridges says this. Desire for forbidden pleasures, this is what you're getting at, brother, right? Springs out of a dissatisfaction with present possessions. Um, And what he's saying is you've become dissatisfied with your own wife and so you're, you're desiring something forbidden. Yep, that's exactly right. And so you need, it's, it, it is, it's rooted in covetousness and uh, which lust and covetousness can be, you know, sort of owned there together in inordinate desire. And he's saying, stay away from it and actually be intoxicated, be intoxicated, my son, um, not with the forbidden woman, right? Don't, don't, not with her, but with what? 
be intoxicated always in your wa- in, the, in the love of your wife. Which is a command. Yeah. Isn't fall in love. Oh, I felt right. No, that's 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 helpful, Joel. Thank you. It it's a command, not not something that just passively happens to you. So, ooh, I fell in love and I fell out of love. You guys have heard me say this before. You fall in a ditch, right? You don't fall in love. You choose to love people. Uh, you choose to cease loving people, right? This isn't a passive thing that just comes upon you. I'm sorry I fell out of love with you and I fell in love with this other person. Um, that's not how the Bible is defining this. You are being commanded to be intoxicated with your own wife. Yep. That, that, and, and, and to, to avoid the forbidden woman. It's a very, very, very direct language. Um, it's very easy to get intoxicated with other women. Very easy. You don't live with them. You don't know what they're really like, right? And, and frankly, frankly you, just, you just have a lust for more all the time. Even if you have a good wife. We have, we have been in the counseling room with good with men who say to us, I have a godly wife. She satisfies me sexually in the sense that she's, she's not, she doesn't withhold from me. She, she cooks, she cleans, she's amazing. She, she's, she's kind. She does everything I would want a wife to do. Next words. I mean, this is right here with, next words. Um, but you know, I'm like a man born out of time. God made me to have a harem. Jesus has given me the gift of sex and I need to share it. It pleases him when I share it with lots of women. So I'd like her to be the head of my harem. This is an actual conversation. Um, there, it, it was insane. I want to punch the guy in the face repeatedly. But, but I mean, this is, it's, it's not that, oh, it, because that guy, that guy committed adultery because he had a bad wife. Like this, this nonsense and current psychology that, 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 you know, every divorce is caused by both parties in some way is not true. Not true. There are some real victims. Now, most of the time, conflicts in marriages are caused by both parties. That's true. Generally, that's true. But not always true. There are some actual victims, right? Um, okay, chapter six, just really briefly, let's talk about foolish economics and their entanglements. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself, for you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go hasten and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. In other words, um, you don't want to be if you will, putting up security for your neighbor and caught in it because you are entangled with a worldly man in, in financial dealings. That's what he's saying. Don't get entangled with worldly people in your financial dealings. This is a kind of financial partnership with worldly people. Don't do that because they're going to own you, right? Um, it's, it's bad news to get caught up with the ungodly, foolish people in financial partnership. Bad news. Um, Look what he goes on to say in verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Okay, Um, 
without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. Um, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When, you, when will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like armed, an armed man. What's, what's he getting at? Why do you go to the ant? What do you guys notice about ants? They're just working hard all the time, right? They're constantly at work. Um, you see it, and what he's saying is, be like that. Um, when you're at work, you know, and you're not working hard, he's saying, go look at the ants, look at how they work. Stop being lazy. Lazy people end up hungry. That's what he's saying, right? I mean, it's, it's really, really clear. We don't, it's not popular to say that in our society. A lot of people are hungry because they're laser, lazy. They just refuse to work. Um, so Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians does not, I mean, 1 Thessalonians deal with people who won't, who refuse to work, right? There's a difference between unable to work and unwilling to work, right? There's a distinction there. The Bible's really clear about the people who are unwilling to work. If they're unwilling to work, they don't eat. Don't help them. You help the people who are unable, not the people who are unwilling. You guys understand the distinction there? Uh, unfortunately, our culture doesn't. We, we don't, and that's why we all hate the welfare system. But I'm going to tell you, Christians often participate in their own kind of welfare system. They're often helping the unwilling uh, because they feel sorry and they've heard their sob story. And they're unwilling to say to them, because it sounds mean, stop being lazy. Don't keep giving us excuses as to why you can't get out of bed and go to work. Right? You're, not, you're not disabled. You're just a lazy person. Oh, it's just, I feel bad when I wake up. So what? I don't wake up thinking, woo, can't wait to work, right? You had to get up and work, you know? So that's, I mean, yeah, anyway. So, but it seems so mean, right, to tell them that. But you're doing them no favors, right? So the Bible makes provisions for like the poor. Let them glean the outside of your fields. But again, what are they willing to do? They're, they're going to work for it. You're going to share with them because they're willing to work. But you're not going to share with the people who aren't willing to work. Right? Uh, you're gonna, you're, you're, the people who are unable, you're going to share with them. You see a blind person who can't provide for themselves, you share with them. Right? You guys understand this, the issue there? Okay. Uh, you have a friend in the church who, who's, um, let's, Dan is a mortgage broker. I keep telling Dan, I hope you're saving a ton of your money because you're crushing it and that's not going to last forever. So hopefully he is. But like eventually, let's say Dan's mortgage business goes to garbage because you guys know these things happen, right? A few years, he saved up a bunch, but nothing's coming back and he's looking around and you go, you know what? I'm going to help Dan out because Dan wasn't unwilling to work. His whole industry died or something. You guys understand the distinction there? And now he's looking for something. And I'm going to help him find work and I'm going to assist him, whatever, right? That's one thing. It's another thing if Dan just, his, his industry goes to garbage for three to five years and he's like, well, I'm going to sit at home and wait for it to come back. Can you guys send me checks? That's a different thing, right? Okay, what's that? Well, I don't expect that you will, but you guys understand. Um, a worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart, devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. So, you know, the person who goes around winking and using crooked speech and... Um, don't trust that man, right? 
you guys, you guys know this guy. We usually refer to him, it's like a used car salesman, right? He <laughs> walks around with this kind of speech, winking, and, and, and he's just stay away from that guy, right? So it's just don't be unwise in your, in your worldly entanglements. That's what he's getting at. Work hard. Don't get yourself financially entangled with wicked, foolish people, and watch out for the, the used car salesman, Right? I'm not, by the way, I'm not saying all used car salesmen are bad. You understand I'm using it as a euphemism, right? The guy who's a smooth talker winking at you who you know is just trying to take you, right? Maybe that's the timeshare salesman, the used car salesman, whoever it is, right? Um, He's going to go on and give more warnings we're not going to get into, but just look at the end, chapter 9, chapter 9. Lady Wisdom has a house, and Lady Folly has a house. So let's look there. Um, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the ways of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer, gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. So go to the house of the wise woman. By the way, if you correct a scoffer, they're just going to abuse you. They're not going to accept it, right? So um, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Get instru- give instruction to a wise man and he will be wise, still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. You guys notice that? Um, uh, this is, man, is, if, if you have been in ministry to other people, whether full-time pastoral ministry or just guys like grace group leaders or people who care for the people for any length of time, you know the truth of this. You reprove a scoffer, he hates you. You teach a wise man, he, he's wiser still. He wants to keep on learning. You see it all day long. Um, the fear of the Lord, notice the bracket, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, your years will be added to your life. If you're wise, you are wise by yourself. If you scoff, you, will, you alone will bear it. Um, so you're going to add years to your life. Remember Abraham, Abraham's life had, was full of years. Job's life was full of years because they were wise. Right? Um, the, woman of fall, the woman folly, verse 13, is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant, but he does not know the dead, that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Uh, These are the two voices. Go into the house of wisdom and live or go into the house of uh, the seductive, foolish woman, and die. Like the, <laughs> Those are essentially the clear cases made bo- before you. Now, when we get to chapter 10, starting next week, uh, we'll go through 10 through um, 20, somewhere right in there. Um, when we do that, I, we won't read all of it. We'll pick some Proverbs out. But notice when you read that section, start at 10.1, and notice you're just reading a lot of kind of alternating statements about what wisdom and foolishness. But, but realize it's based on these, these kind of fundamental premises, right? There's the, the house of the wise woman um, who calls in the streets, the house of your parents, the, 
the person who tells you to fear the Lord and keep his commandments. And then there's the house of the seductive, foolish woman, right? Um, she's also calling out in the streets. Um, and and, and she's, she's telling you to forsake the Lord and his commandments and do what pleases the flesh. And, and she'll lead you to death and the wise woman will lead you to life. That's essentially the parameters. And so then all these Proverbs are now gonna come on the basis of those parameters. Do you fear the Lord and keep his commandments? This is how you live. If you don't, this is what it looks like. Um, any questions? I took you over, but we covered a big chunk. Any questions? All right, I'll remind you, we're not forwarding the story here. We're seeing what it looks like to walk wisely in God's kingdom. So um, let let encourage you to read Proverbs 10. I'll send you an email this week, but... Just, just read. If you read the whole book of Proverbs over and over again over the next few weeks, that'd be good for you. It's okay. Uh, so you can't really overread. <laughs> let, let me pray. Father, we're thankful for um, your word. We're thankful for the fact that the way of wisdom and the way of foolishness are so clearly delineated in your word. Uh, we pray that we would walk in accordance with your word, that we would walk in wisdom, that we would fear you and keep your commandments, that we would not listen to the voice of the adulterous woman, whether she's calling to us um, to gratify sexual temptation or to gratify a desire for riches or honor in the community, but that we would listen to the voice of wisdom, that we would rather be seen as fools of Christ um, than wise in the world's eyes. That we would desire not to seek the honor of our own names, but to seek the honor of your name, trusting you um, to vindicate us. We're thankful for your son. We pray that we would listen well to him and forsake the teaching of worldliness. In Jesus' name, amen.